All right. Good morning. Are you sure you want to hear me? All right. Good. We want you to turn to Second Corinthians chapter six as we continue our expositional study of this fantastic epistle. We're here to proclaim the word, to preach the word. I was reading a book this past week on Bible study and preaching the word. And a statement was made. They said, well, one of the problems today in the church is preaching. He says, preaching has overshadowed the text. The words of the preacher has overshadowed the words of God. And then we think we're getting the word of God because we're getting it from the preacher. We're actually getting in the word of man because his words are overshadowing the text. Well, we make it an aim, an intention in our ministry to be sure that the word of God itself is proclaimed. Amen? Now, if you recall, last time uh, in chapter 6, the opening verses, Paul opened himself up to the Corinthians. As you know, there was a struggle going on in the church. There were some false teachers who had succeeded in turning the hearts of a lot of the Corinthian believers against the Apostle Paul. And all kinds of charges were made concerning him. And Paul now is trying to get the Corinthian believers to see the truth and to see that he was indeed a bona fide uh, apostle, one who was called of God. He continues now to open his heart to his people in verse 11. And as usual, we're going to show you the text. We want you to read it as well, and then we'll try to explain what the text is saying. Verse 11, it says, Oh, dear Christian friends, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. We have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. He's referring to what he has said previously because he was very emotional. He revealed his heart feelings, how he has pressures, how he goes through a lot of anxious moments in his life, although he was an apostle. He continues with that. So here's my paraphrase of verse 11, the first opening portion of it. He's saying, Beloved, I have been completely transparent with you because I love you so much. In other words, he says, I'm being completely open to you. I want you to see me through and through for who I really am. So again, he's extremely emotional here. He's appealing to their heart as well as to their mind. In the earlier chapters, he talked about doctrine. That's when he was appealing to their mind. Now he's appealing to their heart here. He continues in this vein also in verse 12 where he says, There is no lack of love on my part, but you have withhold your love from me. This is quite a statement here that the apostle is making. And so I paraphrase it in this fashion to give the intention as is contained in the entire chapter. My actions show that I love you completely and unreservedly, but yours, that's your actions towards me, show just the opposite toward me. So Paul is saying, hey, I want you to be as forthright and uh, completely transparent to me as I am to you. Because I love you and I want to see your love demonstrated to me in transparency as well. And beloved, that is something we need as believers. Transparency, not hypocrisy, not putting on. You know, I went to uh, talk to a doctor this week concerning my wife. But the tables got turned, started to talk about me. 
wanted to find out whether or not I was going through a time of depression myself. And so I had to go through a battery of tests. And I came out on the lower end of it. But looking at it now, I realized that, hey, you, you know, sometimes you have to be honest and you just cannot give an appearance that is not true inwardly. You know what I'm saying? And that's what caused me to face that. That's why early this morning someone says, how are you feeling? I says, I'm rejoicing in the midst of tribulation. You see? And I'm thankful for that because God is still our stay. Amen? And we can do that. And this is what Paul is doing. You'll see that as we go along. Verse 13, he continues his emotional plea. He says, I am asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Please, open your heart to us. You can see the heart of the apostle for these people here, being openly expressed here. He wants to get his children, his spiritual children, to trust him as much as he trusts them. So here's how I paraphrase that, verse 13. Please, I'm appealing to you as a father to his children. Listen to what I am saying. Because you see, he's about to uh, challenge them to stick with him rather than to go on with the false teachers who had infiltrated the church. So he is preparing them to receive a strong challenge from him as his father, their father in the faith. And he wastes no time. He does not mince his words here. Listen to his strong demand in verse 14. Do not team up with those who are unbelievers. That's the New Living Translation. You see, the problem in the Corinthian church was a spiritual problem. The members were living like worldly people and not like Christians. They were saying they were, but they were acting differently. There was a compromise with sin. And as we've seen a moment, Paul had confronted them directly with that, and that caused some problems as well, because none of us like to be confronted with our sin. Is that right or not? We do not like to be confronted with sin, especially in our own lives. That's why the focus of this chapter is going to be on holiness. But you know, the holiness of God is a rare subject today. Do you realize that we are tending more and more to become unholy in our lives rather than holy? Think for a minute of all of the things we used to back some years ago called sin. But now it, everything is legal. Everything is okay. Gambling. They, what, do they want, what do they want to do with that? They want to legalize it. Isn't that right? There, I even heard one of our politicians the other, say we, the other day saying we should legalize marijuana. All right? Now, of course, the United States have already done that, starting towards it. As far as abortion is concerned, it's legalized as far as the states are concerned. We talk about uh, fornication, having sex outside of marriage. That was, that, that was just unheard of 15, 20 years ago. But now it's a norm for young people. That's expected. If you don't do that, something is wrong with you, you see. And we're becoming more unholy in our lives. And we are accepting as believers Believers enjoy more X-rated movies now than ever before in their homes. They do it. And why? Because, hey, it, doesn't, it isn't a big thing anymore. There's no sense of being drawn away from God, who is holy, by what we do anymore. Why? Because we've come, uh, we've come to accept unholy things as being holy 
being okay. And this is what Paul is talking about here. Now, this is what I call the basic warning of the text. This is a warning against unholy alliances or partnerships by believers. It's if we obey, if we disobey this particular command, a life of true holiness, which the Bible says that we will not see God. But if we disobey this command, a life of true holiness and in keeping in step with the Holy Spirit is impossible. We cannot be unholy and keep in step with the Holy Spirit. It's just impossible. So if you or I are living a hypocritical lifestyle, lying uh, on the outside, but we know that inside we are unholy people, we are not keeping in step with the Spirit. It's impossible, and that's what Paul is going to do. You know, we like to say that all things are possible. Paul is going to show in his text that there's some things that are impossible if you're a Christian. It's impossible to do. He's going to talk about that here now. We're going to explain that in a moment. But let's look at the basic idea that is being presented in this command. The King James Version says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, the key phrase is unequally yoked. All right? It's not being yoked, but it's being unequally yoked. And as we go along, that means with anything that is unholy. Unequally yoked. And it could mean a lot of things here. Now, this is this word unequally yoked is really the translation of one Greek word, just one Greek word. Hetero, in the, it, the Greek word is heterozugio. Now, this is a compound word. In other words, the word made up of two different words, and the literal translation is to yoke up differently or to team up with a discordant member. Unequally yoked together. It's just not the right way to be in partnership or yoke with anyone or anything. This is the only place in the Bible where this word is used. No place else. Only right here. And it has to do with holy living here. So the word yoke means a coupling together as when two oxen are coupled or yoked together by a pulling beam to do work such as plowing a field or pull a wagon. Now, when you go into the Old Testament, you say very clearly, don't yoke up an oxen with a donkey, for instance. That's unequally yoked. Why? Because they won't get the job done. They don't have the same strength. They can't pull together. It illustrates the truth that unless two agree, how can you walk together? Isn't that right? That's what he's saying here. Now, uh, so the literal translation I like is, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Now, we have to be careful here. This doesn't mean that you don't ever associate with unbelievers. They're talking about teaming up. It talks about yoking. Jesus Christ is one of the persons who really associated with unbelievers. Isn't that right? He was called a glutton because he ate with unbelievers. He was called a drunkard because he drank with unbelievers. But he did not participate in those things. So he was not yoked with them, although he was associated with them. Like he says... It's the sick that needs a physician. Isn't that right? So you have to go where the sick is. But you don't go there trying to catch their illness or their disease. You go there to bring healing. That's what Jesus is emphasizing here. And so yoke then means a coupling, as when two oxen are coupled or yoked together 
by pulling a beam to do work such as plowing a field or pulling a wagon, as I've just said. And so what Paul is telling the Corinthians in this passage in a very powerful way, and remember now, Corinth was a pagan city filled with idols and temples and immorality. And Paul warns the believer that they must not be teamed up or yoked together with unbelievers in six different areas. First he says, don't be teamed up with unbelievers. Don't be teamed up with unrighteousness. Don't be teamed up with darkness. Don't be yoked together with the devil. Don't be yoked yoked together with infidels. And don't be yoked together with idols. Those are the six areas that he focuses on here. Now, so this command then impacts those whom we marry, those whom we do business with, and many other areas of life. It's not just here for... Many people look at this verse as only has to do with marrying unbelievers. That's not true. This has to do with teaming up with unbelievers in a real close sense in any area of your life, no matter what it may be. It could be a club. It could be a union. It, 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 it could be a um, any kind of uh, organization that does not have Christ as center and that is, in fact, uh, even going against Christ. But it does involve marriage. It does involve business partnerships. Paul says we should not be yoked together in these areas. People having the same purpose in mind, trying to pull together towards that purpose. He says an unbeliever and a believer are just not compatible. They cannot do that. Now, in a sense, Paul is simply applying the prayer of Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 17, verse 15, Jesus prayed, I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from evil or the evil one. Jesus realized that we are here. We are in the world of sin. And he talks about being uh, preserved by the word of God in this world of sin. So he's not talking that we are to withdraw ourselves from all unbelievers. He is not talking about that. But he does say in the same chapter, or we've done well to before, that we should withdraw ourselves from those who profess to be believers, but then are doing evil things. We are to withdraw from them. But the key, again, I say, is being unequally yoked. And that can mean a marriage, but it can also mean the church you attend. You can also be unequally yoked in a church. Because it has to do with beliefs, it has to do with motives, it has to do with purposes. You can be unequally yoked with a church organization if that church organization is not proclaiming the truth. We're going to see that in a moment. You can even be unequally yoked to unbelievers when you sit before your TV. It depends on what you're committed to. Now, I understand one of the big... uh, Attractions today on TV is, is a, I haven't seen it, so I guess I'll have to watch it so I could preach about it next time. Um, what is it called? This Bahamian, uh, a Bahamian, what's a Bahamian soap opera? What's it called? Alright. I understand some people already dedicated to that, committed to that, 
addicted to that. Now you had to watch out, not only for us, but all the others. Because you could team up with those things. And you could be enjoying it in, uh, vicariously. You know, in other words, if you had an opportunity, you'd be there doing what those folk are doing. And then you watch it in that way, that's the eye that you're giving. So never become, Paul is saying, never become unequally yoked together with anyone. Unequally yoked is the key. Do not become unequally yoked together as a Christian with anyone. And you should always avoid unrighteousness, darkness, the devil, infidels, and idols. Now let's look at them one by one, because that's how Paul presents them here. First he says, wickedness. Notice what he says. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? He's saying it's impossible. Morality and immorality cannot be joined together. You cannot be moral and immoral at the same time, doing the same thing in the same place in the same way. That's why this whole idea about gambling It's for a good cause. No, no, no. You cannot make an immoral act become moral because you do something moral with the proceeds. You understand what I'm saying? You can't do that. It's impossible. This is something that's impossible to do. Morality and immorality. If you're a married person, there's no use coming to me and telling me you believe in marriage, but yet you are unfaithful to your husband or to your wife. Because he or she is not treating you right, and God understands. You see? You just can't make that right. There's just no way of doing it. It's impossible. That's what Paul is saying. There's something that's impossible for a Christian to do, and here's one of them. You cannot say that you are moral while doing immoral things. How can light live with darkness? Again, my paraphrase is that truth and error cannot Coexist. This is where it comes to the place you worship and what you believe when it comes. You say you believe the word of God, but how can you attend a church or an organization that does not preach the word of God? Does not preach the truth. You cannot have truth and error existing at the same time in the same place in the same manner. That's impossible. You cannot say that you are clinging to the truth if you are always committing your income, your funds, your time to those who are not preaching the truth. You remember in the States, one of the big things with Obama was the fact that he was attending this church with rights. Remember that big thing? And because of whether he was preaching and all of that, Obama says it didn't affect him at all. That's impossible. You see, that's impossible. The same way with us. We cannot go to another organization that is preaching that... The blood of Jesus Christ is not necessary to be proclaimed, to be preached as the way of salvation. All you have to be interested in is the kingdom. No, no, no. It's the blood, not the kingdom, that cleanses us from all sin. You understand what I'm saying? And we've got to be sure of that. Otherwise, we're committing this error, this right here. We are trying to, we are trying to live with darkness while claiming to be light. That's just impossible to do. We cannot have truth and error. They cannot mix together. Now, the Apostle John wrote about this in his epistle in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. This is what he says. This is the message we heard from Jesus. Now, notice, this is the one who's given the message, Jesus himself. This is the message we heard from Jesus, and now declare unto you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. 
So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God and go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, continually cleanses us from sin, all sin. So Jesus himself taught that you cannot be in the light and walk in darkness at the same time. The one eliminates, discards the other immediately. They cannot coexist. If you have the truth, you cannot in any way be fellowshipping to proclaim by your by your finances or your time or whatever uh, those who proclaim error and so on. Now, here's Paul's statement of stark disbelief that any of these associations could be true of believer. Notice what he says. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? What harmony? How can you make music together? How can the devil and Christ make music together? When I was going through this, I, I thought of something, and I hope you all forgive me for this. Jesus and the devil cannot tango. It takes two to tango, but these two cannot tango. They do not hear the same music. They don't hear the same beat. You understand what I'm saying? It's impossible for the devil and Jesus Christ to tango. Now, you might say they can, just like you as a believer might say, I can do this, I can steal from my boss, I can steal from the government, and I can still be in fellowship with Jesus Christ. John says, you're lying. That's impossible. You cannot do that. No matter how much you might think good in your mind, you cannot do that. You are lying. That's what the word says. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? The implication, of course, is none at all. And so I paraphrase it like this. Christ and the devil cannot only not walk together, they cannot tango together. There's no agreement between them. And unless there is an agreement, you cannot be yoked together. You cannot walk together. Now Paul reinforces his premise with a, prim- with a penetrating question. Notice what he says. How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? He says that's unthinkable. I thought that would bring something out of you. <laughs> that's unthinkable, unimaginable. I say it's, un- it's just unworkable. You just cannot do it. All right? A child of God and a child of the devil cannot be yoked together. It's unthinkable. It's unworkable. It just cannot be. If you say you are a child of God and you're walking with the devil, you're lying. That's all. I'm sorry. That's what John says. That's what God says in his word. He goes on, though, with this to show the contrast here. Now, he's talking about holiness, by the way. Because separation in the Old Testament, for instance, when he, remember when all those laws came down, but you cannot wear a garment if you have two uh, different, what do you call it? Two different types of materials together. You cannot do it. People say, why was that happening? Why he was talking about unclean and clean animals? It's because Jesus, or rather God, was teaching about holiness. And the central Truth about holiness is separation. Separation from sin. 
And all through the Old Testament, but don't wear this, don't do that, don't mix these. God was teaching about holiness and this passage here. That's what Paul is applying. You've got to separate from that if you're going to be in fellowship with God. You cannot be in fellowship with these things and with God at the same time. That's what he's saying here now. He says, "How? what union can there be between God's temple and idols? You cannot in any form or fashion, he is saying here, worship the true God and idols at the same time. Why? Because idols, there are such things as idols or gods behind there. You cannot go into a idol-worshipping temple and say that you're going to worship God. You cannot do that. He's talking now, he's going to come to your individual body. And he's going to show that you just cannot take which belongs to God and take it any way you want and say, I am holy. You cannot do that. That's what he's saying here. So I paraphrase that verse in this way. The place of worship of the true God cannot be used to worship false God. You as a Christian cannot use the temple of God to worship false God. You say, well, I don't do that. I don't wait. Well, if you take the temple of God and become involved in immoralities because uh, you think that is a good thing to do, if you accepting error over truth, you are using the temple of God to worship idols. That's the force here. Now, he goes on to give us the reason why he's making these commands and saying why these things are impossible of a holy a person who wants to live a holy life. He says, For we are the temple of the living God. Now please, let that soak in if nothing else does. We are the temple of the living God. The living God, not a dead idol. In other words, God lives within this temple. He walks and talks with us. He subs with us, as John says in the book of Revelation. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, this is a wonderful truth. You will see that this is what God has been trying to do right from the beginning of the creation of man. Trying to go back into fellowship with man so they could walk together. Adam and Eve, what happened? They walked and they talked with God in the garden. They fellowship, isn't that right? That's what he wants to do. He wants to get back into that relationship with man. There was nothing to separate. You remember, after sin, he had to go looking for them. Adam, where are you? I'm in the bush. Hiding in the bush. What are you doing there? Why are you in the bush? You shouldn't be in the bush. You should be here with me, fellowshipping, talking, and supping with one another. But because of sin... Unholiness came into that relationship. Never since God has been trying to restore that. You go through all the Old Testament, you talk about the tabernacle. What is the tabernacle? God's presence among his people. And when he gave instructions about building that tabernacle, he also gave some instructions concerning health issues. He says, I don't want you to leave all your refuse and all your mess all around the the compound. Why? Because I am walking amongst you people and I do not want to be contaminated with all of that stuff. And that's the spiritual application Paul is making here. Notice what he says now. 
Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Again, he's talking about coming out from among them in the sense of fellowshipping, yoking yourself together with them. He's telling them to be who you are and what you are. Who are you? You are the children of God and your body is the temple of the living God. And God wants you to do what you were saved to do. What were you saved to do? You were saved to worship a holy God. That's why he's made your body and my body a temple, a holy place of worship and a residence of a holy God. We just cannot use it any way we want and think we have fellowship with him. And so here's what Peter says about this. And this gives us a reason why we as believers are to be holy people. First Peter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own or personal possession. Please get that. A people for God's personal possession. You don't belong to anyone else but Jesus Christ. You don't belong to the devil. You don't even belong to yourself. We saw that before when we talked about that we are to live for the one who died for us. Holy nation, a people, God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Notice, that's one of the major reasons for our being a child of God, a temple of the Holy Spirit, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of God, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Sees. All of these truths, he called it out of the darkness of sin that we were in. How can we go back to that and still say we are holy people? First Peter 2.10 For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. That's who we are. We have forgotten that. We have forgotten that. We think we're going to be here forever. We think all of our work and effort should only be to make us uh, happy and comfortable now. But Peter is reminding us that we are aliens here. We don't have full residencies here, is what he's saying. I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts with rage, war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, that's the unsaved, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Do you know why a lot of people get angry at Christians who live a Christian life? Why do you think they get angry? That's right. And they've been judged themselves. You see, they've been ju- ah, Jesus preached that himself, by the way. He taught the same truth here. That when the Spirit convicts us, or unbelievers, when we live righteous lives. Because they know that they are condemned by your righteous living. You see? But what we try to do today is to be accepted by the unbeliever. Is to be embraced by the unsaved. We do not want to be looked upon as being bad or to be different. No, no, no. We want to be just like you. We want to be a part of the crowd. We want to be a part of everybody, just like everybody else. 
Peter is saying, you cannot do that. You've got to be who you are. And we are to act differently because we are different. We are the temple of the living God. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be cause of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God, not glorify you, but glorify God in the day of visitation. So Paul makes a practical appeal now in verse 17. Therefore, because of these truths, come out from among unbelievers. Now Paul is homing into what's going on in Corinth. He is saying that the people they're listening to at Corinth were actually unbelievers. They were not preaching the truth. They were not saved at all. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Paul is saying, if you are a temple of God, and if God says, you are my people, and I want to walk among you and be holy, Paul says, therefore, you've got to get rid of all of these associations here. In other words, what he's saying is, be ye holy, even as I am holy. Now, that's not just an ideal statement. That's just not something God is saying there. This is something we need to be applying every day in our lives. To be holy even as he is holy. Notice verse 17. Don't touch these filthy things and I will welcome you. Now I want you to see the implication here. He says if you do touch them, if you do become involved and you become associated, you yoke yourselves together with these unholy objectives and these unholy uh, uh, projects, whatever it is, these unholy people. I cannot welcome you. I cannot welcome you. I cannot walk amongst you because there's too much unholy filth around. So I paraphrase it in this way. You cannot have fellowship with me, God says, and with ungodly people and their activities at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. And no matter how much we might say things, if we are not living holy lives, it doesn't matter what we say. Notice verse 10. Here's the promise. I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. And so, Paul makes a final plea or call, an application of this in chapter 7, verse 1. Because we have these promises. What promises? The promises that God would welcome us, that he would walk amongst his people. That's a promise. But we have to do certain things. Because we have these promises, dear friends, here's what we have to do. Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body and our spirit. Notice this. It's just not outward, but it's inward as well. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. We reverence God. We respect God. So I paraphrase it like this. Let's claim God's promises of his enjoying his divine presence in our lives by separating ourselves from all that is unholy to show that we honor and reverence him above all else. That's what Paul is saying here. Now we do this and we can be sure, if we do this, we can be sure of his presence in our lives. If we don't, we cannot. Paul called on the Corinthians to realize their identity as God's holy people in two ways. First, they were to separate themselves from moral evil. And they were to be dedicated to God in holy living and service. That's Paul's plea here. And it's a call to holiness. 
I want to make that same call upon you and myself today as well. But let me close with the appeal of Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice now, rest. Now in the context, as we've seen in a moment, this has to do with the rest of being yoked together to do something. Notice verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. This is Jesus' invitation now. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall, you shall find rest to your souls. People, if there's one thing that most of us are searching for is rest for our souls. Jesus says the only way you can find that is if you are yoked to me. That means you are yoked to doing what I want done, yoked to accomplishing the purpose I want, yoked to living a holy lifestyle because you're yoked to me who is holy as well. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Notice, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. And why? Is because Jesus is carrying his full weight of the load. We don't have to bear it all. He is there with us. And once we can agree with him, we can walk together. Amen? And so my appeal to you today who have never been yoked with Jesus Christ as far as salvation is concerned. He is the only one that can give you salvation. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Only in the name of Jesus. And if you want to experience a full salvation and and being present with God in eternity... You must be yoked to Jesus as far as your salvation can sign. No use yoking yourself to your work or to your church for salvation. You must be yoked to Jesus Christ. And then you continue to walk with him in agreement, living a holy lifestyle, not a hypocritical one, not saying that you are moral when you're living immorally by the things that you do, not associating with error when you know it's error but rather rejecting it, coming out from among them, then Jesus says, I will welcome you. I will be with you as my temple, as my sanctuary. You'll be able to proclaim my excellencies. And that's what we should do as his people. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this strong command and your call to holiness. Thank you, Father, that we have the Holy Spirit living within us who enables us, who energizes us and strengthens us to live holy lives. Just give us the courage and the will, we pray, to commit ourselves to holy living day by day so we can have that sweet fellowship with you as we are yoked together with the triune God. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.